So if you've been following our podcast, you know we've talked about AI a lot of late, the threats and opportunities, the rising fraud and deep fakes. But today we're going to flip the script. If we're going to rely more and more on artificial intelligence to improve the way we do business, serve citizens, if we're going to use it to enhance our personal lives and our society, how do we protect the AI itself from the forces that would put these benefits at risk? Hi, I'm Ken Cadet, and this is the Entrust Cybersecurity Institute podcast. To delve into the depths of what threats are faced by AI platforms as they evolve, we are joined by two of our own subject matter experts. First, Polly Sirdar, Director of Product Security and Trust. Thank you for being here, Polly. Thanks, Ken. Uh, hi, everyone. And joining Polly is no stranger to these podcasts and Trust's VP of Software Development, Greg Wetmore. Welcome back, Greg. Thanks so much, Ken. Great to be back on the podcast. Let's talk about threats to AI. Uh, first, um, Greg, how about we start by clarifying the differences between the threats we see from AI as opposed to the threats we see to AI? How do you distinguish these? And uh, are they completely distinct or is there some overlap? there's a useful distinction to be made here and we've spoken kind of on previous podcasts about how ai is a tool for attackers to help them build more efficient more effective attacks and it's equally a tool for defenders or cybersecurity professionals to help them protect uh, an organization's assets so you know in that context i think that that's what we talked about the threat from ai ai as a tool attackers can use to more efficiently or more effectively execute an attack. Today, we want to really focus a little more on the attacks to AI. So AI is becoming a, a new attack surface area. As we incorporate AI into consumer or citizen-facing applications, or we incorporate AI into business applications, it becomes a new attack surface area. Um, and we have to think about, as cybersecurity professionals, how do we protect those AIs that are becoming more and more important in how services deliver um, deliver online capabilities to their customers or consumers or citizens or employees. Um, and we have to protect that AI from attack. It is a valuable target now. I completely agree, uh, Greg. Um, one of the things about AI is that, it, quite worryingly, it's one of these systems that has built up of billions of parameters that are you know, heuristically learned. Um, it, uh, the approach to analysis and, you know, threat mitigation might be the same as any other software system, but it, it starts off with trying to understand how these things are put together. The yeah. last part of your question, Ken, was about are, are those two domains, the attack to and the attack from, are they distinct or is there overlap? And I think there's definitely overlap. As, as we start to talk a little bit about some of the threats to AI, I think those overlaps become clearer. Um, but oftentimes, uh, attackers using AIs, you know, to, to make more effective, efficient attack techniques are actually exploiting unintended, unintended consequences of generative AIs. You know, getting AIs to produce malicious or dangerous content is often what those AI engines are, you know, are not intended to do. So that's both a attack to the AI system, you're trying to exploit it to have it produce harmful output. And it's also an attack using AI. You're using that AI to create a more efficient, more effective attack. Holly, maybe you could help us help us understand a little bit some of the some of the ways that 
the ways that some of that malicious content might get into an AI or some ways that a, a, an attacker or a bad actor might manipulate an AI? So uh, I think so, so most of the generative uh, AIs are based on what we call large language models. And, um, you know, these sit in front of what we call a deep neural network. And normally large language models do two things. They, they kind of complete the sentence or they fill in the blank. And um, if you think about it, um, so we're completing the sentence might be, my sister is beautiful. Um, but you could actually complete the sentence with my sister is evil. And that's a completely different meaning. And if you, you know, with the filling in the off the blank type thing, you can get to the same errors. Um, now, those actually leads to a problem of, of what they're thinking of in uh, as the alignment in um, sort of large language models. And alignment's basically trying to look for a way to ensure that uh, AIs are helpful, honest, uh, and harmless, so the three H's. Um, and it, it's not an easy problem to solve because um, when you train AIs, they actually, you train them on a large corpus of pretty much a, any data they can get hold of, or they, you know, you, you can literally literally throw the dictionary at them uh, or, or, or the entire, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica. And it's going to make up things uh, and confidently so. Um, I've heard about phrases like uh, prompt injection, data poisoning, just some of the some of the I, frankly like jargon that's going out there in, in cybersecurity about that. Um, what, what what is that, and what um, you know, what is it? What what kinds of harms does that cause? Yeah, prompt injection and data poisoning. Ken, those are AI security buzzwords. Um, perhaps two of the top ones, but but there are you know, 10 or 12 different kinds of uh, attacks that we should be considering to AIs. Um, but I can I can take a quick run at explaining some of those, couple of those um, more important ones. Prompt injection is really where uh, either an attacker, a malicious user is actually actively uh, asking the AI to do things and potentially generate output that is harmful. So the, in a sense, the attacker is intentionally using the AI to... Um, create harmful output. Uh, and they might be doing so using some pretty tricky techniques to try and bypass um, AI security mechanisms that are meant to try and protect the AI from producing harmful output. So perhaps breaking up a request. So instead of saying, you know what, create me an attack script to bypass um, Microsoft Office 365 security controls, they might ask for, you know, seven or eight different incremental little things that the AI will happily answer. And then you can assemble those seven or eight different things into something harmful. Um, so that's an a, a, a example of a direct prompt ejection. An attacker is prompting the AI to do something perhaps that it wasn't intended to do or to produce harmful output. Maybe even a scarier version of that is, is indirect prompt injection where, you know, a perhaps, um, a, a, a normal user is interacting with a business application or a consumer-facing application that's built on AI, and is, uh, you know, asking something about, you know, you know, I've got this uh, these symptoms. I'm feeling sick, and I have these symptoms. Can you please tell me, you know, what what might be wrong with me? And an attacker behind the scenes, whether you know, man in the middle or adversary in the middle, or um, 
through other sort of attack techniques like uh, injecting content into a, a web application might actually change that prompt. And the user doesn't even really know that the prompt got changed. And so then the output produced by the application is actually wrong. It is actually output produced by a prompt that the user didn't intend. And that's indirect prompt uh, injection. And that's scary because the, the user of the application will then consume that information thinking it's accurate, thinking it's correct. Um, and perhaps have dangerous consequences. So data poisoning is um, how AI is trained. So normally you would provide it with um, a set of data samples. And based on that, you will create a, a model and resultant output. But um, if you start look, providing input that comes from what we call the adversarial space, now um, consider that you can actually train um, data uh, AIs from you know a theoretical universe but the actual data you have to hand is actually limited so you can only provide it with a limited set of samples for training um, what normally happens is on the edge of the theoretical um, superspace and the the, the, the the physical space that you've actually got in hand there's actually uh, edge cases that will drive AI to make uh, erroneous decisions and a famous example of that is um, so a while ago the headlines were hit with what they called a one pixel attack and basically it was manipulation of an image um, to um, essentially come be classified as something else and it's quite quite a stark um, you know miscalculation so if you look at so the the error that came up was basically a, a yellow bus was recognized as an ostrich now if we look at those the consequences of that is and you're relying on ai to make decisions for you um it can become very very serious and so it's actually so you know injection attacks are based on very minor perturbations that are causing misclassifications the one thing i wanted to at least talk about as we kind of get into things a little bit is um there's also there's also the aspect a lot of people are talking about about who is creating the AI and what kinds of data it's trained on and what kind of points of view it's uh, it's trained on and how that affects things like equity and identity um, and what does that what does that mean for society as we use AI more and more? Polly Polly introduced the concept of human alignment and he, he cited the three H's: harmless, helpful, honest. Um, really, that it sort of comes back to almost a question of morality in a way are our AIs being created with that are free from bias that are um, created to to be helpful and and not harmful um, and evaluating an AI against those standards is, is actually quite difficult and that goes to I think some of the things you introduced what data was used to create this AI was that data intentionally skewed to represent it particularly biased view or perhaps totally false view, or perhaps it's unintended. You know, the, the data the um, data used to create the large language model, Polly referenced, you can't use all the, the entire data set in the whole world. It has to be some limited set. So is that limited set missing data representing different people's characteristics, points of view, um, all kinds of different dimensions you could think of. If the AI is asked to make decisions in that domain, if it if it doesn't have a basis to make that decision, then it sort of fills in the blanks. There's potentially unintended consequence where 
you introduce a, a bias into the um, results of an AI. Yeah, it makes sense. And it, um, so there's a lot to think about in terms of, uh, you know, how AI can be, uh, what, what the risks to AI might be. Let's, let's maybe dive in a little bit. Um, there's, you know, Paul, you mentioned, you know, putting, you know, adding that code to an image. I think there was news recently about a tool called Nightshade that, that is actually designed to allow artists to poison AI models. Um, how big a risk do you think that is of people essentially acting as, you know, saboteurs to, uh, to AI in order to, you know, protect against the changes that are happening here? So Nightshade is quite interesting because it's actually saying I'm using adversarial inputs to try and protect my the images for artists so that they aren't actually you know um, copied uh, and um, without uh, you know copied um, and violating any copyright laws. So what you're trying to do is kind of uh, I suppose put a blur on it or change the image slightly so that it um, it doesn't uh, it, it can't be stolen. Um, the uh, and that's perhaps a uh, you know a, a good use of uh, of that um, technology or the poisoning, but by all means we're still talking about a, a vulnerability and an attack. And I did mention the one pixel attack. Um, there, there are actually areas where such an attack, you know, by adding um, sort of um, sort of or, or modifying speed limit signs with um, you know, subtly placed dots uh, will change a, a speed limit from, you know, 30 miles an hour to 60 miles an hour or 90. Now, uh, again, we talked about the, the consequences of that, um, but the, that's not the only problem where you actually provide um, you know, a, a malicious or an adversarial input and get a, a strange output. Um, the other side of it is that the there's a concept on, of actually model transfer attacks. So the, once you find such uh, adversarial inputs, it's easy to transfer them to another AI that has been trained with a different subset of that data, and the attack will still work. So these, you know, it, it's actually quite difficult to to contain such attacks. Um, and you know, uh, I, I think we, we we need to go back into trying to understand how to mitigate such attacks. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, you might ask, can you know, can an organization ever create a perfectly safe or a you know totally clean AI that's free from um, some of the problems we've talked about, free from the effects of data poisoning, or free from the being a target of attack and potentially producing malicious output or or um, you know releasing sensitive information? I think that's probably an unattainable standard. Um, and we don't actually hold almost any software to a standard like that, free from defect, free from security issues. I think really what we we need to do as as cybersecurity professionals, as as people building applications to serve customers and consumers, is is follow a best practice, follow a uh, really take a zero trust approach, um, treat output from AIs as um, you know never trust, always verify. And take a best practice approach of how we build and integrate AIs into our um, our business applications, and that really goes to sort of some of the fundamental principles of of software security assurance, um, in, input validation, output state, and output sanitization, um, pe penetration testing, edge case testing, uh, injection testing, 
all, all kinds of the sort of the classic um, methods that we use to try and produce as secure software as we can. So Greg reminds me of, um, you know, so saying, yes, we need to, re, you know, apply best practices. And, uh, you know, that, that to my mind is actually the right way to, to approach this. Um, there have been ways where, you know, people are trying to apply tripwires to the data being fed into um, AIs while training them to ensure that they don't, um, you know, that, that, that you know, they, they're detecting anomalous input and, there is one such attack that has an amusing name. It's actually called a boiling frog attack, where <laughs> you actually feed in the data gently, um, so that it's actually not triggering tripwires. And that's, uh, and I suppose the message behind that is that actually, you know, some of the things that we will see are um, slightly different with AI, and uh, it goes back to trying to understand, you know, the system and its behavior in order to secure it. Yeah, uh, Greg, you mentioned that idea of a clean AI platform, and it sounds like that's, you know, an extremely difficult thing to get to. But, you know, what are some of the things if an enterprise is actually thinking about looking at um, some some of these new sort of generative AI enhanced tools? Um, you know, what are some of the things you kind of need to put in place or that you need to look for in order to say, yes, this is something I that would be good for me to use in my enterprise. And it's re really, I think about taking a lot of the concepts we've talked about today and thinking about how to um, mitigate some of those. Um, and so if, you know, as a as an organization that's potentially building applications um, that incorporates AIs, I would go back to that uh, zero trust principle I, I talked about really. I'll always, or sorry, never trust, always verify. And so where are all the points in the interaction with that AI? Can we add verification steps, um, input validation steps, output escaping steps, um, testing, penetration testing, edge case testing, evaluating an AI against, um, you know, looking for biases and um, all of those sort of some, all of those concepts we just spent the last few minutes talking about um, looking for sensitive information disclosure. Can I get that AI potentially to disclose proprietary information that I, I don't want disclosed? If I was a, you know, if I put a sort of CISO or CIO's hat on and I'm consuming um, whether it's security tools or business applications uh, from vendors, I'd be asking some of those questions myself. What is these, what kind of security assurance do you as a vendor do on your um, AI enhanced tools? How do you verify that um, your AI is is safe. Um, there's a great uh, the OWASP organization, which is is known for publishing um, sort of top ten lists of, of uh, security issues in uh, mobile applications or web applications. They've just recently published a top ten for large language model applications, and that's a great resource for learning about um, the different kinds of attacks and threats to AI models. Um, and so those can you can generate from those some questions specifically to ask vendors about how they design, build, and maintain AI-enhanced applications. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think it's I, I I'm sort of fascinated at um, by some of these uh, you know some of these concepts and just the whole idea that if a um, if an AI needs a lot of data to be trained on, you know how do you how do you make sure that the data that they're not being trained on something that's proprietary? Uh, of yours. And, 
you know, and and I and how I guess you know how do we know how do we know if some of these products are sort of being rushed to market a little too fast from some sort of, from some vendors? Um, I, I, you know, that the the actual thing where you're saying how can I you know be assured that actually the AI is not being trained with um, proprietary information? Um, simple answer is you can't. Um, I've actually heard of instances where um, you've got uh, a set of um, you know customers for some organizations actually feeding in uh, you know their help docs and their user manuals into the the AI so that they can query it more quickly. Um, that's quite a cool way to get you know some kind of chatbot interface. But the other side of it is that actually that information is being leaked out into the wild. Um, and then the other thing, the rush for competition or the advantage actually starts asking people to take shortcuts. And that's probably where, again, the three H's are compromised. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Greg. I, I was going to jump in with almost that same um, same reaction, Polly. I, I am personally worried that the intense hype around AI, you know, every, every software vendor in the world, it feels like is rushing to add AI to their applications. Um, and I think it's such a complex domain to think about the AI as a new attack surface and really trying to eliminate as many of the threat scenarios as you can with careful design and, and robust testing. Um, th those two things are almost opposite to rushing uh, new technology in, into into the next release. Um, so certainly an interest for taking a very careful approach. Uh, and I, you know, I thought casting aspersion on any other software vendors, I'm sure they are too, but you know, as a whole rushing AIs into use and, and exposing them to malicious threats is a, is a important danger that we have to, um, we have to try and mitigate. Yeah, I think your I, I think your point from the beginning is is really well taken. You know, just because this is brand new, um, it's still you still have to focus on those basic core principles. Let me shift over for a second. You know, there's um, one area that people have been talking about a lot, and it's a hard one to talk about. Um, is is how how uh, how AI and cybersecurity is expanding into cyber warfare and you know, I say this, you know, knowing that there's a lot of instability going on in the world. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, human beings suffering, and it almost seems frivolous to talk about cybersecurity on that. And at the same time, it seems like the the side, the, the aspect of cyber warfare and how AI might be involved in cyber warfare um, could have some serious real world consequences. Um, so I'm kind of curious how you see, you know, AI potentially being used or abused by state actors, how, you know, threats to AI or from AI might be, uh, might be involved, you know, by state actors or people involved in, um, in conflicts around the world. So Ken, yeah, the, the conflicts, current conflicts we're seeing, unfortunately, in, in multiple places around the world today are showing us how important the digital and cyber domain is in those conflicts. Um, that the digital side of those conflicts it, are significant and and causing you know some of the human suffering you're talking about it when cyber attacks affect critical infrastructure and access to, to power and water and basic needs to survive as as uh, as humans and unfortunately I think AIs are are becoming part of that 
cyber warfare domain. And there's a real sort of ratcheting scale of, a, of concern or effects that AI might have in that cyber warfare domain. Everything from creating you know, new vi computer viruses and malware and allowing for hacking and theft of data. Um, we're concerned about things like disinformation and fake news and um, deep fakes and the ability to to cause disinformation and, and cause people to potentially believe um, untrue things. And then I think you can even imagine ratcheting up from there. I mean, Polly and I have chatted before some of those re really scary scenarios. You know, Polly, maybe you can share a little bit of that. Yeah. I think it's um, becomes quite um, worrisome when um, you're starting now um, designating um, some very critical decisions to um, you know machines and you know, when when you can get such things as uh, lethal autonomous weapons that um, kind of can kill without inter human intervention and that's where you're delegating life or death decisions to an AI. Um, we're probably not far off that uh, anyway. And, um, you know, it's uh, there are lots of moral questions to be asked about how that is being used. Well, completely agree, Greg. Um, you know, the sort of warfare or the entire military landscape um, is now got, uh, uh, you know, or I think it's probably started off with information security. Information was key from the very beginning of war, but... Uh, right now we're getting into now as you know probably a more offensive environment where digital um, controlled systems can can behave by and do things by themselves um, and you know there are follow-ons where you're saying okay not only are we using this thing for military purposes but there's also you know the other side where there's an adversarial or the the attacker point of view where um, they will want to reach you know, more dangerous, more um, powerful weapons. Um, and whether that's through, phys you know, physical weapons or even, you know, um, bio um, uh, virus type weapons as well. Um, it It is, you know, it, it does kind of open up. And I, with AI, you can see an immense acceleration in, in development, development of such systems. I think this is an area where the public voice is hugely important. And there are organizations and international organizations and tech alliances starting to come together around trying to express that public voice. What do we demand around morality from AIs? How do we ensure AIs are, are harmless, helpful, and honest? Um, you know, what kind of, you'd say, almost like the Geneva Convention of, for Warfare, you know, how do we apply those kinds of principles to AIs? Um, and that's a place of ongoing development. I think it's a place where, again, I use the word the public voice, like as a society, as a country or a society or as a globe, you know, we need yeah, to participate in, in the progression of, of how do we make these safe and what, what do we demand from our technology providers? Completely. I agree that, you know, even folks like, uh, you know, the founders of, uh, you know, organizations like DeepMind, um, you know, Mustafa Suleiman has actually asked for AI to be contained. And we do have organizations like the Center for AI Safety that are looking into such matters. But, 
you know, uh, I I like your take on it, saying actually, you know, we have to be a little more um, stronger on this thing. It's more like a Geneva Convention. Um, I know that there have been some discussions um, between governments as well. So um, not long ago, probably a month ago or a month and a half ago, there was a discussion between UK Gov and various other governments um, to discuss the risks uh, due to AI. Um, it does need to get on the agenda, and actually, um, the, the regulation needs to come in um, pretty pretty quickly. I'd, I'd say. Yeah, it is. It, it's, I, I like your point. I like your points about that, um, and about you know organizations and different organizations and governments and people getting involved. It, it does seem like um, it, there's been a lot of conversation in public just about you know there's this singular point of view that comes out of Silicon Valley, for example that, um, you know, may be different and may have different values than, um, you know, than what, you know, larger populations or, or other folks might, might be interested in. So lots to think about there. Um, where does that leave um, AI and the, the threats to AI and, and uh, you know, over time? How do you see AI and, and in protection of AI uh, platforms themselves? Um, how do you see that evolving? Greg, why don't we start with you? Well, I think it's it's without a question AI is becoming a or represents a new attack surface area. AI is being integrated into applications in all kinds of domains: citizen-facing, consumer-facing, uh, business applications, um, and it they it AI is becoming a more and more important part of that application, and it makes it a target for attackers, just like all of those domains are target for cyber attack today. Um, we are, you know, as a cybersecurity industry, beginning to perhaps even further than the beginning, we have fairly mature understanding, I think, based on where we are of some of the threats to AI and how to protect AIs from those threats, things like that, I lost top 10 for LLMs. Um, and thinking about AI in the sense of, um, it becomes a, a component where we have to apply secure software or security assurance, security assurance for software principles, basic principles to that AI. How do we treat it with with that zero trust approach of, of uh, never trust, always verify? How do we apply all of the things we know how to do to make secure, reliable software applications? Those principles need to be applied to AI. So um, AI is already with us. I mean, it's helping us drive our cars. Um, you know, we're hearing expressions like "just ask your local AI." Um, you know, we we can't avoid it. And um, so the thing for me that's um, pretty important is to understand that um, such systems are um, they're imperfect. So you know, um, it. it AI learning is imperfect, and you know, as we've discussed before, you you can only apply a certain, a limited data set to train it. Um, and for me, that's you know, understanding that limitation is is quite key because when you you are able to appreciate that the system is, is perfect or even far from perfect, um, you can understand that actually I can't, um, you know, probably rely on it to do everything so we've talked about things like bias um we we've also talked about uh, the large class of vulnerabilities that actually uh, appear because of you know the imperfect learning um side of things um but there are always going to be um, blind spots in machine learning algorithms so my view is that we we really really need to understand what those are and what the limitations are 
and then figure out, uh, you know, a safe application guidance. Um, if I was to quote, um, you know, someone like Ken Thompson who wrote a famous paper many, many years ago, and it was like, well, reflections on trusting trust. And his moral was, you cannot trust code that you didn't totally create yourself. Um, I think that still applies. So, um, you know, uh, and one final point is that knowing the limitations allows us to design systems that can be safe in some context. Um, so we can add um, barriers or guardrails to some decision-making processes. Um, I, I, know, I know Craig and I had a brief discussion about this thing and we thought maybe that's one sensible approach to to use utilizing AI because it definitely has benefits. It will be an accelerator in many, many industries, um, but we, we've also be, we need to be able to understand it and, and critique it. I think that concept of guardrails is a really useful one, Polly, um, that we can potentially even use AIs in, in safety critical situations to generate efficiencies um, and, and be more effective, but potentially a guardrail systems you know, around those AIs that prevent extreme decision-making or prevent unsafe conditions are incredibly important in that context. Um, and I, you know, I think the other point Polly made that I really feel strongly agree, agree in agreement with is, you know, AI is, is imperfect. You have to understand that and treat it as imperfect. And that potentially means, you know, checking output with other sources that potentially means taking output from AI and then applying a whole bunch of other, um, secure development principles to that output to make sure that it is safe and secure and test test it and test for bias. All, all the things we've talked about, um, those are, are incredibly important principles. Well, thanks, Polly and Greg. I think there's a lot to think about and a lot we're going to be, uh, I'm sure, working on and in, in monitoring and viewing over time. So definitely a, a, a space we're going to keep an eye on. But we'll leave it there then for today. So Greg and Polly, thank you for being here and sharing your expertise um, and your thoughts on this. And thank you everyone for listening. Our podcast was produced by Stephen Damone. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email your opinions, ideas, reactions, etc., to Cybersecurity Institute at Entrust.com. Till next time. Bye.